0: Thanks for tuning into the Refuge Church Sermon Podcast. It's our prayer that the Spirit would use God's Word to stir your affections for Christ during this time. While we're glad to provide this online content, please remember that it's not intended to replace commitment and connection within a local church family. Now, here's this week's message. Today's reading comes from the book of Colossians, chapter 1, verses 15 through 20.
1: Um, for those of you who don't know, my name is Joel. I am a member here at Refuge, and it's, uh, it's my privilege to talk with you in this third and final sermon on this short five-verse snippet from Colossians, um, kind of bringing it all together and uh, helping us hopefully to see some lessons from that. Um, But just as we get started, I'm going to ask that you uh, bow your heads and pray with me, and then we'll continue on. Lord Jesus, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the power that it has through the Holy Spirit to um, change us and to mold us into those creatures that you would have us to be. And we ask that your word would be powerful today today. We ask that you send your Holy Spirit upon all of us to speak your word, to hear your word, uh, and most of all, to obey your word. We ask this in your name, amen. So I have been married uh, for 29 years today. Um, Yeah, and that makes me a bit of an expert, not on marriage, Um, far from it. Uh, It makes me an expert on mistakes in marriage. Um, Some of the mistakes that I've made in marriage were were really pretty small and insignificant uh, in the grand scheme of things. Um, Many are not. Uh, On the small side, um, and really in retrospect, I know I should have pulled the car over to the side of the road. Um, I know that there were sheets of rain crossing Interstate 29 Um, and I heard on the radio about the tornado coming toward Interstate 29. I know I should have pulled over. But that was the day we got married, and we were heading to Omaha, Nebraska for our wedding night. (laughs) All the guys are going, (laughs) yeah. I should have pulled over and joined all the people who were taking cover in ditches and under overpasses, but I didn't. I kept going. Um, Every ounce of my upbringing, uh, this boy from Kansas knew that that was not a smart thing to do. But we went anyway, and we got through it. So, I mean, overall, small mistake. Um, The next day, however... I made a much, much bigger mistake. Um, we were driving from the Omaha to Dillon, Colorado for what was to be our week-long honeymoon. Um, also just as a side note, uh, road trips for a honeymoon, not recommended if you can avoid it. But um, we were driving through Nebraska, which is a fate worse than death in my opinion. Um, and we got to what, what I think was Kearney, Nebraska, and it, it, you don't have to know the geography of Nebraska, <laughs> it's, it's all the same. Um, but we got to Kearney, Nebraska, and we had driven about four hours or so from uh, from Omaha and Cindy said, man, I'm kind of hungry. And she saw one of the blue signs on the side of the road that said Burger King. She's like, great, let's go there. And I said, that's great. We will pull off here on the, on the first exit at Kearney and take the little direction thing to, uh, to Burger King. And we got to Burger King and there was a huge long line of cars waiting to get in the drive-thru, like out onto the street long. And it was just impossibly long. And we both looked at each other and we, we went, uh, oh, oh, this is going to be terrible. And I said, not a problem. If we keep going on this main street, there are two exits for the interstate in Kearney. If we keep going, I know this main street connects back with the interstate because I had read the map. Uh, Kids, there used to be these things, folded paper things called maps. And, yeah, right? (laughs) I know. There was no disembodied voice telling you exactly which turn to make. You had to decide for yourself where to turn. It was great. Everybody loved it. Which is why they invented the disembodied voice to tell us exactly where to go. Uh, So I said, there's got to be other places along this stretch. And, you know, we, we kept going and there weren't, (laughs) there weren't any other places. Um, and as we got closer and closer to the freeway entrance, even the gas stations were looking really devoid of food and really, really up there in terms of redneck Nebraskans. So Cindy said, well, maybe we should turn around and go back. And I'm like, "Nah, let's go to the next town. (laughs) Let's go to the next town. There will be a Burger King there. Because going back, right, um, going back seems like failure and defeat. I discovered in that moment that my wife is capable of showing her anger by going to sleep. She slept, angry, <coughs> and, and, and I kept driving, and, and I passed the first town, no. I passed the second town, no. An hour and a half later, we got to Grand Junction. I think that's the name of the town. It doesn't matter. Just believe me, it was Grand Junction. Um, if there's no Grand Junction in Nebraska, don't hold me to that. Um, but we got there and I saw one of the magic blue signs and it had an M on it. And so I pulled off and, and reached out and said to Cindy, we're, we're at a McDonald's, you can wake up now. And so we got some food and it was all great. It was all great, and I learned a valuable lesson, and I put it in this helpful mnemonic device. When Cindy is hungry, pull over and kill a cow. (laughs) So, um, yeah, so, tried tried to put that one in the old memory bank, and it worked for a week until I did the very same thing in Pueblo, Colorado on the way back, I said, "This there's, there's got to be another McDonald's on the other side of Pueblo, right?" Friends, there is not. Um, there is. Whenever there is a McDonald's, don't count on there being another one. That's that's the lesson. Um, but in that, I learned something about our relationship. I learned something about me. I learned something about Cindy. I'm I'm one that that's fueled by especially on road trips, getting to the destination as quickly as possible. And that any turning back is a, is a thwarting and a defeat. Um, Cindy is more of a person who enjoys the journey. Who's um, willing to say, maybe we should go back to what we had. That, that, that was great. We, we, we had something back there. Um, and... She's she's willing to do that rather than reaching ahead for what might be there. And really it makes sense. Um, the, the Colossian church had this tremendous fear and apprehension of missing out on what was before them. They were located in Asia Minor, it's in northern Turkey nowadays, um, and they were under considerable pressure from their, from the Roman culture with all sorts of gods for this and that that you had to burn this incense to and sacrifice this to. And uh, it was all good as long as you burned your incense to the gods and also said, Caesar is Lord. And they were also under pressure from this group of kind of pseudo-Christian itinerant preachers who went around and they said, we are going to offer you a Jesus plus strategy. Jesus is great, but you need a little more than Jesus. And so what Paul does in this, in this book of Colossians it, maybe even more than any of his other letters to us is he lays out the, the complete scope of how far Jesus reigns, of His supremacy over every square inch of what He made, and over every square inch of our salvation. There's there's not one little place, there's not one destination further that we can go where we can get more than Jesus because we already have Jesus now. Jesus reigns supreme and thus, according to this passage, we are the recipients of resurrection. Verse 18 says that Jesus is the beginning, the firstborn from among the dead. This uh, hymn or poem that Paul uses here does it, it does a very poemy thing. It repeats a concept. Um, <clears throat> if you remember back a couple weeks ago, you remember that Trey showed us how uh, it was Jesus standing as the image of God. He is the image of the invisible God and the firstborn over all creation. And so here we have that echoing of the firstborn. That theme is repeated. Um, And this position of being firstborn was a critical, critical thing. For the ancient Middle East and the Roman Empire, it's not so much for us today. The firstborn is kind of neat, and we expect that person to achieve all sorts of things, and there's all sorts of stereotypes we put on the firstborn. But being born first conferred rights and status, and it conferred an inheritance. The firstborn, especially firstborn sons, most of all, it was firstborn sons who received this. um, It was the one who inherited it all and also bore responsibility for taking care of the family. And he was to use the inheritance plus all that he brought to the table to continue to grow the family's prosperity and thus to provide for brothers and sisters and extended family. Um, And that's if it all went well. If the firstborn wasn't a first-rate selfish jerk. If the firstborn was a first-rate selfish jerk, that person would ignore mother, brother and sisters, keep it all for himself. it happened with some regularity, uh, and if they were in an especially powerful family, um, some of the family members might also find themselves dead as a way of cementing power and authority. So being this firstborn over all creation is a big deal. It means that Jesus has the rights to it all. It means that... Everything in creation is his, and not one more thing can be added to it. And, but as we heard Kayla introduce at the beginning of the service, having um, the triune God who created it all very good um, and took fantastic care of his creation for Adam and Eve, it wasn't enough. We, through Adam, took for ourselves what was not ours to take. We took ownership of that created order. We usurped God. And we twisted our desire so that by taking more and more of the stuff of creation, we thought that we could displace the one who should be our true desire. But what we failed to realize is by cutting away the one who was our head, our source of life, we cut our own throats. So in what is easily the worst Avengers movie ever made, and you can come at me after the service if you want. I'm, do- I'm doing it. It's happening. Um, Tony Stark attempts to create a mind of artificial intelligence that's going to protect the Earth from alien invasions. I, I, I feel your disappointment coming at me, and trust me, just stay with me here. It's fine. <clears throat> he creates Ultron, and this artificial intelligence, and the heroes of the story soon discover that the cure that Tony attempted— is worse than the disease since Ultron soon determines that humans are actually the problem and that they must be eliminated starting with our ragtag gang of superheroes. So the rest of the movie is kind of a convoluted salad of um, new characters and introducing new concepts and um, it's, I'm not saying it's a bad movie. I enjoy Age of Ultron very, very much. I'm just saying of the four, it might be a tad worse than the other three. Can we we say that's fair? Um, It's just kind of this thing about how Tony um, ultimately goes and tries this very same solution and somehow magically gets it right. Um, and I think Vision is super cool in all of that. I, I love him. In WandaVision, he was amazing. Um, but I'll stand on this, that the plot of the movie is kind of weak because the solution to the problem is never more of what got you into the problem in the first place. The day that Adam and Eve sinned in the garden, the day that they decided to take the reins and create their own Ultron, God did the wise and loving thing by driving them out of the garden so that they would not eat of the tree of life and thus confirm themselves in this state of rebellion and sin and misery. If they had confirmed themselves, there would be no hope. But God took them away from that. And set it aside until redemption could be done. And so what Paul says here is so, so important. Jesus is the firstborn of this good created order that we see around us. But he's also the firstborn from among the dead. His resurrection seals his place as the one who holds the life of the created order and the way through death. Like Jeremy said, resurrection is the worst case scenario now. He is the heir of both of those. And thus, as Paul writes at the very end of verse 18, he has supremacy or preeminence over everything. And that's the central theme of all of verses 15 through 20. The one that that the Colossians and we desperately need to hear. They were being led to believe that Jesus was a great starting point, but they they needed more. There was more that needed to come to them in addition to Jesus. They were were hearing that there were these powers and authorities all around that, that needed to be named and tamed and proclaimed so that they could experience the fullness of all of life, but Paul isn't going to have any of that. He's not going to let us have it either. There is simply no way for us to begin with Jesus and then find other stuff, other secret stuff, other, other stuff that's accessible only to us that addresses our deeper desires and longings. There is no other in whom we should look to find hope. Because Jesus is the preeminent one. Jesus is the one that has redeemed the world from death and who gives us a share in his resurrection life. And and we're now recipients of reconciliation. So I'd like for you to imagine something. I'd like for you to imagine your greatest desire right now. Um, it doesn't have to be anything big. It doesn't have to be anything long-term. It could be that. That's fine. It um, could be as simple as earning a raise at work or taking a great vacation and truly enjoying yourself with loved ones. Or it could be something bigger. It might be being able to retire comfortably, to most adequately provide for your family. It might be a Stanley Cup number two, World Series number 12, just throwing it out there, whatever it is, I I want you to hold that thing that you desire in your mind's eye. I, I want you to feel that desire. Feel the strength of your desire and how much you want what you want. Now, I'm not going to ask you to raise your hands, but I bet that most of us here fixed the, the thing that we desire most as, as some sort of thing, some sort of tangible thing. And, and that's fair because I primed the pump in that way. Um, <clears throat> but what if I asked, what is our greatest desire? What is our greatest desire as a body? I suspect that we together would probably identify a number of things that, that we could agree on that is our greatest desire together. But this desire and this longing, where does it come from? What, what does it indicate about us? When we long for what we don't have, We're recognizing that life right now is incomplete. That there's something more to be had. Something really gratifying to have. And and that is good. Please hear me on that. Desiring stuff, desiring things is not bad. It's when that desire stops there that it becomes something less than what it should be. The desire for stuff is not bad as long as it leads us to desire something even more. When our desire for something more is very, very God-sized then we recognize that we have desired the greater thing. In verse 19, Paul tells us that God was pleased to have all his fullness to dwell in Jesus, which commentators believe is a a key word that some of these pseudo-preachers were using at the time, this this word fullness. Um, It's a word that persisted into full-blown Gnosticism that we read that happened in the church in the second century. Um, this idea of fullness is the idea that all human beings are, are, are cracked and flawed. And, and none of us can, can hold all of the fullness of God. But, but what God did in Jesus is, is he gave us a vessel, right? Right? So they're saying Jesus is this vessel that you can have and, and into which you can acquire and pour into all this fullness, this secret knowledge. And, and, and that allows you to possess the, the greater stuff. But that's not what Paul wants us to understand. He, he says, actually, no. You have been given a cup that is already overflowing. And it will overflow eternally. It's yours now. You don't have to access something new and secret So Paul then points us to the fact that we are recipients of shalom. At the end of verse 20, Paul says, Jesus makes peace. But but what of it? Why, why is peace so necessary? It's because of this, brothers and sisters, it's because Jesus' peace is so much deeper and richer. And, and, and fuller than any absence of, of fighting or conflict that we can imagine. Christ brings about wholeness. He brings about shalom. And, and that's the idea of, of full flourishing before the face of God. And he makes this peace through his pain and suffering, and he he makes this peace through his own bloodshed. He makes this peace through his own instrument of shame and torment through the cross. He makes peace because he as the very image of God deigned to come and suffer. He wanted to do this because it was the only way to make peace, to bring unity, union again between heaven and earth, between the creator and the created. And now he gives that peace to us. And oh, how we need it. I need it. How much turmoil I think exists within each one of us, within me. How much pain that we have to be taken and healed. How much confusion we see right now among our friends and our neighbors as they seek to navigate this world of CDC guidelines and what do we do about the virus and how do we live our lives now in a pandemic. Even more we see pain and confusion there is among people of color and others who have suffered injustice for centuries and, and even now feel the echoes and the reverberation of that injustice in, in the very systems and authorities that they turn to to seek out just a little bit of justice. Or how we long for our petty political divisions to just come to an end. For the anger and the bitterness and hurt to be replaced Not by even unanimity, but just listening to each other. Joining together, partnering with those whose ideas may be different, but who we can get to a good destination. We long for healing from our own pain of being hurt or abused. We long for healing some of us from the wounds inflicted by the church itself as the body turns on its own to silence dissent or to shame and control. And in the midst of all of this longing and pain, Jesus enters and says, peace. Peace be with you. Shalom. I have it all. I bring it all together. Not today, necessarily. Not even in the way that we want. But it is there, and as we have it, we we find ourselves in him. And and we find that our wounds are overwhelmed as we hide ourselves in his wounds. And, And we find that our doubts and dismay are hidden into his anguished cries to the Father. And we find our very lives hidden and kept safe in him as Paul will tell us in Colossians 3. <coughs> Pardon me. We share in this shalom and we we do so because of the presence of the Holy Spirit and through our brothers and sisters in Christ. On Easter Sunday 2008, the fishing trawler Ranger, 200 feet long, sprung a leak and sank in the Bering Sea and there were 47 men who made up the crew and after the boat sank under them they found themselves in the middle of a 32 degree sea in the middle of a storm with these neoprene survival suits they're called Gumby suits protecting them from instant hypothermia and death Coast Guard heard a mayday call, and in those wee dark hours of Easter morning, they dispatched a Jayhawk helicopter from an island base. They sent out a Coast Guard cutter called the Monroe, and other boats nearby came and gave assistance and rescued the crew. And as the Coast Guard cutter Monroe approached, and, and 75 miles out still, they launched their own helicopter a dolphin helicopter smaller aircraft that could hold four survivors plus the air crew Um, and that helicopter was last on the scene and among the crew of the dolphin was abe heller he was a rookie rescue swimmer who would be tasked with jumping into the water and getting the survivors one by one into the basket and hoisting them up into the helicopter and After identifying the four most critical sailors floating in the water, he got them up in the helicopter. Heller found a fifth guy. He was struggling for life, and he was thrashing about in a desperate attempt to hold on. And without a thought, Abe Heller loaded him into the basket. And the air crew dropped a life raft and Heller loaded the three remaining sailors in the ocean into that life raft, and he, he himself got in. And the helicopter took off to the Monroe to offload the victims and come back and pick up everybody else. And Abe Heller stayed with them in the dark, in the storm, for two hours that it took for this Jayhawk to make that round trip. He tended to one man named Sam who was in in very critical condition and, and all he could do was give a slight thumbs up when asked, are you with me? But the very presence of Abe gave those survivors no doubt that they would be rescued because they knew that the Coast Guard wasn't gonna leave their guy alone. Those final three were saved, and Abe Heller received the Distinguished Flying Cross for his heroism and bravery. 42 of 47 sailors were saved. And this is one of the most remarkable stories of survival and heroism in Bering Sea history. We have a savior who came to us And rescues us. Not only to rescue us. But he stays with us. Through his Holy Spirit. He is present with us. Through the communion meal that we take every week. He is present with us. He gives us his presence as a sign that He will will reconcile us together with all creation. And He will give us our resurrection reward. We have all of that now through Jesus. So I'm going to tell you this. Be at peace today. Share that peace with those that you come in contact with this week. Be an instrument of peace. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, we thank you for for being our peace, for being our wholeness, for being our fullness, for being our everything. We ask that our lives would reflect more and more of you and less and less of us. We ask that you would enable us to be your body, your hands and feet here on earth. Give us your peace. In your strong name we pray. Amen. Building our identity in Christ for the
0: sake of the world. That's the mission of Refuge Church. For more information, visit us online at seekrefuge.net.